You're listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. Brian is a social entrepreneur and attorney who focuses on startup companies, nonprofit organizations, and arts and entertainment law issues. Creative Confidential starts now. Today, I'm joined by Shelley Brown, who is the president and CEO of the State Theater for the Arts in Easton, Pennsylvania. Shelley, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Or afternoon or evening, wherever... Uh, Good day. <laughs> <laughs> wherever the listeners may be. Um, again, we're, we're really pleased that you uh, could take some time out of your schedule uh, to, to join us. You have quite a few very, very interesting uh, projects that you're involved in. Um, the first of which, we need to start with the obvious one first, which is running the State Theater. And perhaps you could tell people from out of the region... Uh, just a little bit about the State Theater. It's a beautiful uh, turn-of-the-century uh, property in, in Easton. Uh, seats, what, 1,100? Or- we have 1,549 seats. Mm-hmm. We have a resident ghost whose name is Fred. Fred Ost- J. Fred Osterstock is actually his official name. Um, but it's a, it's, a re- it's a former vaudeville house, a movie palace. It's one of 100 theaters in the country that have been restored to their original grandeur. Mm -hmm. It's on the National Register of Historic Places, but it's a bustling art center now. Uh, We have the theater itself, the auditorium, and then there's a grand ballroom upstairs. There's a contemporary gallery space uh, on the first floor. And there's about 30,000 square feet of undeveloped space within the complex, which makes it a little bit unusual. Um, most old theaters in downtowns don't have anywhere to go, you know, no elbow room at all. And we have all this undeveloped space. Unfortunately, we don't have the resources at this time, you know, to, uh, to refurbish them. But I mean, it's the space is there for future expansion. Is the space all <clears throat> contiguous or, or yeah. is it mm-hmm. in little? Okay. So mm-hmm. you have potentially another smaller performance venue yep. or the, listening room perhaps or, or, or another business that's, you know, compatible with the state theater. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> that's something that we'll, you know, we'll address in the future. We're in downtown historic Easton, Pennsylvania, which while it has a Pennsylvania address from the front door, I can look and see New Jersey. Uh, I, Right, sound right a on like the... Sarah Palin there, but I can actually see New Jersey <laughs> right, from my front door. Right on and, the Delaware. And we're um, an hour and 15 minutes from Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So it makes us really just so close that artists who perform for us who live in New York City, for example, they, you know, they'll just go home and sleep in their own bed and be home by midnight or, or 1230. So it's, I have to tell people, or I did when I first got there, it's Pennsylvania, but, you know, because they people immediately think of cows and horses and buggies artists Mm -hmm. and uh so we're really right in the middle of of a lot of people yeah your proximity to new york is a terrific advantage Mm -hmm. um tell us a little bit about how many events so how many events happen in the course of a season at the state theater well we went from an all-time high of about 110 events now we've we've sort of settled into about 80 um, and we're using the other spaces as well. So, um, and that's going to change a bit as we as we move forward. You know, we've been uh, I've been at the theater for almost twenty five years. Mm-hmm. The theater this this is going to be our ninetieth season of continuous operation coming up in uh, a couple of weeks, a few weeks it starts. And um, I mean, ninety years is a long time, but we don't want to look back and say 
it was a great 90 years. We want to say it was a great and interesting 90 years. Our, our tagline is wow, 90 years of wow. But we're looking forward to 90 years coming up of more wow. And we are looking at our business and saying, okay, what's the future going to be at the State Theater? And any business today that isn't doing that is just not thinking because the way times are changing, the way mm -hmm. technology is changing, the way uh, the music scene, arts, all of it is, is, is frankly marketed, sold, and conveyed to people is totally different than what it was when the State Theater was a vaudeville house, for example, um, and, or the way the State Theater was 10 years ago. So we're in constant change and evolution. The city of Easton has always been an unusual and cool town, but of late it has really, really knocked into gear, you know, high gear. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it, there's a coolness factor in Easton that's totally different from anywhere else in the region. And uh, it's a really interesting town. Yeah, there are a lot of there are certainly a lot of new properties being developed and going online, whether they're restaurants or retail. Um, I mean, you have a little, you have not a little, you have a renaissance of your own, absolutely in in Easton, absolutely, in full swing. and it's very organic. I mean, it has come just. It, I mean, I think we had a lot to do with it. Um, certainly, the Crayola factory's there, Lafayette College is there, and and you know, there's a lot in Easton. the 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 city itself is gorgeous. Topographically, mm -hmm. it's beautiful. I mean the you know, the rivers and then the, the mountain, College Hill, it's all very beautiful. Um, and it's different from the rest of the Lehigh Valley. This is the Lehigh Valley area, you know, Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton. But it's different than Allentown and Bethlehem. I mean, I've lived and worked in all three cities. And um, Allentown and Bethlehem, the way I, I like to explain it to people, especially who are coming from the other coast or from somewhere mm -hmm. far off, um, Allentown and Bethlehem are really uh, white bread, Phillies hats, you know, kind of a Pennsylvania Dutch influence, German influence. Easton is more New York oriented. You see Syrian bread and Yankee caps. And it's just that much closer to New York that it's different. There's a completely different vibe in Easton. That's true. You know, I've never uh, – the, the, it's funny you mention that, the alliances with, with sports teams and things. That's definitely true. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about yep. it. Yep. And so it's different. And uh, when I first – came to the theater, I mean, people would say, I've never actually been to Easton from the Lehigh Valley, which means they flew by on Route 22 and saw it, but really hadn't been there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a happening town, as they say. So what do you have coming up in this upcoming season at the State Theater that you're excited about? Old friends, new friends. Um, we're starting out with, um, I think, a pretty killer week, actually. Johnny Mathis, Ben Skill, and Brian Wilson. Um, I mean, I don't think you can get much bigger than that as far as... Uh, and they've made our theater a home before. Mm -hmm. um, Brian Wilson, actually, this is the Pet Sounds tour, his mm -hmm. final Pet Sounds tour. He did his first Pet Sounds tour. A lot of people don't remember this. He began it at the State Theater, and it was with a full symphony orchestra, and he was there for a week teching the tour mm -hmm. and then performed... And then went off on his world tour. And uh, so this is a comeback to us for that for that particular music, which has been, um, I think, acknowledged universally as probably the, the finest single album. I mean, you guys would know that better than I, but yeah, it's, it's usually right up it's, there. Yeah, it's in the top yep. 10 or, or 20 records, and to hear him, records all, all time. To, to hear him perform sure. it, he was there in the spring with his <clears throat> Love and Mercy tour. And um, those concerts, those particular kinds of concerts, are really epic evenings. And they're what live performance is all about. To see an artist 
in an an intimate theater. Fifteen hundred seats, actually, believe it or not, is considered an intimate theater. Mm-hmm. Not small, but medium size, but intimate. We have perfect acoustics. It's a it's just a, a warm space, very intimate. You're very close to the artist, and uh, the furthest seat in our theater is is closer than the a floor seat in an arena. You know the, the right, last right. floor seat. Yep. So the whole thing is this great capsule very, where it everybody is very compact, very compact, very yep. beautiful, very very um, intimate. And to hear an artist perform original music in a space like that with an audience that is one hundred percent fan fan based. There's no giveaway seats in at the state theater. There are no you know corporate seats. I mean, it's fans in every last seat, mm-hmm. and you can feel it. You can feel it when the artist walks out on the stage or at certain moments. You can just feel it. I thought it, I always used to call it it, that thing that happens because I'm not an arts trained person. And finally, many years into my um, tenure there, someone said to me, you know, that's called the kinetic transference of energy is what that's actually called, which is a very fancy way, fancy way of saying that incredible thing that happens right, when the right. artist and the audience and the venue itself are all on the same page. It's mm-hmm. thrilling. You remember it forever. And it's the way music and theater is supposed to be. You're not supposed to. I mean, it wasn't designed to be heard on a record or, mm-hmm. or on an iPod, you know, iPod. You were supposed to experience it. And part of it is experiencing it with the fellowship of 1,400 other people or 1,500 other people right. who are all laughing, crying quiet at the same time i mean it's an extraordinary experience when it happens and you never forget it you never forget it it's it's we get to make memories you know that's the best part of the job now you mentioned you you were you're not arts trained what what do you mean by that i really backed into every job i ever had and this one is no exception um if anyone had ever said to me years ago you know you're going to be an arts person and and especially an arts person working with high school students you know, I would have said, are you kidding me? You know what? Uh, I mean, I, my first job out of college, I mean, I was a probation officer. <laughs> that's <laughs> probation pretty, that's, and parole, <laughs> which I think uh, equipped me rather nicely for the work I do now, I might maybe. say. But um, my job, and you know, I say that, I say that kiddingly, but one of the jobs of a probation officer is when a person is adjudicated guilty of a crime, it's your job to write a report to learn absolutely everything there is about that person and make your recommendations to the judge about what the sentence should be. It's called a pre-sentence investigation. And mine used to be 80, 90 pages long because I would talk to everybody, everybody there was, you know, that knew the person, including the person. Mm -hmm. And it was really funny because after that, I then became a television producer and Writing a pre-sentence investigation is very much the same as doing homework when you're going to interview someone and learning everything there is about them so that you can ask questions that are interesting that maybe they haven't heard before. And um, because I just fell into that. That's really what I am as a producer, you know, and and anyway. Well, we got to that's such a that's a very unexpected left turn. (laughs) We had two of them back to back. So. Your initial background was in criminal justice? No, I was an English major. I flirted with, as many people do in high school, gee, I think I'll be an actress. Okay. And learned rather quickly, like after about a day in college, that I was not talented and and couldn't hold a candle to people who really had it. 
And so I, I switched my major and I was an English major. And um, after I graduated from college, I thought, well, or actually before I graduated from college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, I'll go to law school. You know, so I had graduated a semester early mm-hmm. from college at, at the time. And um, I had a semester to kick around before law school started. So I took a job locally, and which was that of a probation officer mm-hmm. in Lehigh County. And along the way, I just sort of lost interest in being a lawyer and, and stayed with that for a while. And uh, not very long, about four years, mm-hmm. um, three or four years. But then um, I had my first child and wasn't working for a little bit and then got into television, which is another story. So, um, Right. But how did, so how did that happen when it's, it's interesting you say that almost as a footnote. Well, then I got into television well, like everybody well, know, does. Well, my, I guess my father in particular, I was, I'm an only child and my father was always very much, um, you want to do something, go, you know, do it, go knock on doors and do it. When I thought maybe I wanted to be in law school, go, maybe go to law school, he said, go find a lawyer who'll let you follow him or her around. You know, go. Good advice. Knock on the door mm-hmm. and do that. And I did. And that's how I got to know the system in Lehigh County because I spent a summer um, working and also during the day following a lawyer around mm-hmm. um, and learning all, all about that. So um, when I was home, you know, having uh, just given birth to my daughter, it was back in the dark ages when Lamaze childbirth was a brand new thing, brand new. And um, the theory was back in the day that if you were focused, um, you would have a very um, wonderful experience. You wouldn't feel any pain, you know, which was not my particular (laughs) experience with it. I was fine until, you know, things really got rolling. And then I was like, ah. So I thought, you know, I've never seen anything. Got to remember, this was back in 19... Oh God, 74. So there hadn't been a lot. I mean, that was a really new age thing, you know, Lamont's mm-hmm. childbirth. And so I thought I've never seen anything on television or anything about Lamont's childbirth. So I got in the car and went to um, what at the time was um, WLVT, which was our local public television station. Mm-hmm. And I made an appointment with the program director. And I went in and I said, you know, I, I'm I'm not, you know, anybody. I'm one of the, your viewers. And I want to make a suggestion to you. I think you should do a show about Lamaze childbirth. And he said, thank you very much. Thanks for coming in. And, um, you know, see ya. And then about a week later, I got a phone call from him. And he said, we're going to start a new thing up here called Pledge Week, where we're going to go on between the shows, you know, during the shows. We've mm-hmm. never done it before. Um do you think you could talk on TV? Because you seem like you can talk. You know, do you think you could talk about public television? Because I had said, you know, I really love public television. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, yeah, I guess so. You know, and he said, we, c- we can't pay you or anything, but would you just come up and do it? So I thought, well, why not? You know, and, and I, I started doing that and became the pledge lady at the public television station. Okay, And then that sort of, turned into well could you kind of do this or could you host that or could you and I kept going back into the program director's office saying you know I really think you should do that show on Lamaze Childbirth you 
should do it. And because I didn't. And finally, to get rid of me, he said, look, it's too expensive. You know, it would cost a lot of money. This was in 1974. And he said, it would cost a lot of money. We don't have it. And, uh, it, it, you know, if you can write. And I said, well, how much money? And he said, $15,000. And I said, okay. And, he, and I said, if I raise the money, can, we, can you do the show? And he said, yeah. You know, see ya. <laughs> and so <laughs> I went home and, and uh, you know, back then there were phones with cords, you know, and I would go in the closet and uh, say, hello. You know, my name is Shelley Brown and I'm a producer from WLVTTV. And, and I called um, Gerber, uh, the Gerber company. Mm-hmm. And I got the money. And I went back and I said to him, you're not going to believe this. I was so excited. It's so funny because, you know, you think back in your life. And I burst into his office and I said, because now, you know, I was doing this on-camera work, getting paid next to nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing at all, as a matter of fact, for a really long time. And I went in and I said, you're not going to believe it. I have the best news ever. I got the money. And he just looked so mortified, you know, like, oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) Anyway, we did the show. I was part of it. um, uh, And um, it ended up airing on nationally on PBS and then there were more shows there was one with Fred Rogers and over the years you know several um, that were national it's my Mm -hmm. role grew you know and I was then I was the executive producer and I was the vice president for development I was there for almost 20 years and learned you know a ton about that and over those years I had done several things with the State Theater in Easton I was on their board for a brief period of time but I had done a lot of TV out of the State Theater, and I thought it was gorgeous, and it had its ups and downs. There was a, a great fanfare when it was restored mm-hmm. and opened, and had this roster of stars, this incredible thing, and everybody thought this is great. It's going to be fine, but you know, theaters aren't fine unless they have money regularly coming in. Shows sure. don't keep theaters in business, but it's a very common mistake that's made in communities that restore theaters. They restore the theater, and then they start doing shows and think, well, we're good now. You know, and so anyway, so um, the theater came to me twice, actually, once a couple of years before I actually decided to go and um, they were going to close and said, do you think you could do anything here? And I said, I don't know anything about theater, you know, and they said, well, but you know how to run a nonprofit. And I said, well, that I do. But I didn't know anything about theater or booking shows or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I thought I can learn. I'll make a lot of mistakes, but I can learn. <laughs> learning Nothing like learning on the job. Well, in, in the world of theater in those days, you know, it was pre-internet. I mean, now everybody knows everybody everything, who's taking right. it and everything. Mm-hmm. If you take a job in California, people can Google you and know who you are. Sure. But in those days, there was no Google. But there, the theater world, the per, the presenting world, that's what we call it in our, you know, booking shows and we don't produce shows locally at the State Theater, only one, you know, the Freddies. But everything else we I purchase, you know, there are right. artists that are and in that in those days that world was very, very small. And the word went out that a person was coming in to run this theater who didn't know anything. I mean, I had a big cheat me sign, you know, that I was wearing <laughs> around my neck. Yeah. A- and I knew that. It's a tough business. And I isn't thought, it? you know what, I'm going to make mistakes, hopefully not huge ones. Mm-hmm. And, but I'll learn from them. And I did, you know, and people who were good to me and fair with me and helped me learn, 
are my friends to this day and people that I do business with to this day. People that cheated me, I learned that too, you know, and I don't do business with them right. to this day. So what about what? So what year did you take over the state? It's 92, theater? I think. Yeah, 92. So I guess it's my 24th season. Can't be that many already, can yeah. it? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 92 doesn't seem, doesn't sound like it was that long ago. It doesn't to, to me, me either. <laughs> to me either. I, I, I think it starts spinning faster as we yep. get older, you know, and. Well, one of the one of the things that you mentioned that the state theater does produce um, really has been something uh, that I find fascinating because there is no other, at least to my knowledge, there's no other program like what we're about to talk about, which is the Freddie Awards. Um, which, when I try to describe what it is to people, the best I can come up with is it's a localized Tony Awards, but for high school productions. That's perfect. You described it perfectly. And uh, not to contradict you, but it's a great compliment to our program and WFMZ TV that you uh, that you described it as the only one because there are probably about 50 programs like it in the United States, but there's only one that's on television live in the country. And yeah, that's for, ours. Right. So for people who don't know, there is a partnership of sorts between um, the the TV stations in the region and um, the state theater where not only is there an, this, the, this award show, the Freddie Awards, which we'll talk about in a little bit of detail here, but it happens almost to the consumer, to somebody sitting at home watching TV. It all, it, it feels like, any major award show that you would you would watch because you've got um, Eve Russo and and her and you know I, does Eve MC it every year or who MC'd it last year? Well, Ed, Hannah, and I are the hosts. Okay, and Eve handles the social media component. Mm -hmm. um, Ed and I have hosted it for. Ed was not the host the first year, but I asked him the second year, and he's been there with me. So he's done thirteen shows. We have our fifteenth coming up this year and eve joined with us maybe five years ago i guess handling all backstage doing mm -hmm. all the social media and um because i just adore her and think she's wonderful and one of these days she sings and dances but we never get to spotlight her because everything's about the kids <laughs> but um it's a it's a very unique partnership i mean i was at a meeting f 16 years ago of theater people like me who run theaters and somebody made mention of a program that they did at their theater, which was a high school musical awards program. And mm -hmm. I thought, what the heck is that? You know, so I researched it and then we ended up going, a bunch of us got in the car and went to uh, the paper mill playhouse in New Jersey. They have what's called the rising star awards, which is their high school musical theater program. And they're all pretty much the same. You're, you described it absolutely appropriately. It's, it's the Tony awards for high school musical theater is really what it is. And we base everything on how the Tonys um, runs their program. Mm -hmm. And um, so the paper mill was really gracious with us and told us how to run it. And the, the, places that did them the one thing that they would always say to me is the theater's full on the night of the big show because the show's the culmination of the whole thing mm -hmm. you know there's a whole lot that goes on under the surface um for months of uh evaluating and adjudicating all these high school shows there are 30 in our case 
um, New Jersey. I don't know how they do it. They do the entire state of New Jersey, you know, which is mind-boggling, right. you know, hundreds right. of high schools. We do 30, um, which is Lehigh, Northampton, and Warren counties. Um, but the the they would say, you know, the theater just sells out. And I and I, and as a television producer, I always look at everything through the eyes of that. My thinking was, you know, why on earth would you go through everything you have to go through and do this program and then have only 1,500 seats, 1,500 people can see it, mostly mm-hmm. kids. I mean, why wouldn't you want the whole community to see it? Right. And so I um, basically Barry Fisher um, made the made the uh, judgment. First of all, he was all about it. He thought it was a great idea. And then I said, it took a while, but he said he thought it was a great idea. And then, and then I said, but we have to do it live. And I always tease him that I look back on that moment and say, you know, he was really nuts to say, yes, let's do it live. Because anybody should have said, including me, and I mean, let's try it a couple of years, you know, and mm-hmm. see how it all works right. and then do it live. Yeah. But I, I made, I think, a very effective case that no one would watch an, or not many people would watch an award show when they knew how it turned out because the media would be all the other media would be all over it you know, reporting who received right. the awards. Mm-hmm. So I made a really good case for that. And then there we were. We had to deliver a three to three and a half hour show with enormous moving parts. Um, I think I can say, and I people would say this is, this is a snooty thing to say, but I think the show's as good as the Tony Awards. I really do. We have just a crack group of people working on it. Um, we have very limited resources. I mean, when you think of the Emmys, the Oscars, um, the Tonys, they have, you know, multi-million dollar mm-hmm. budgets, enormous roster right. of people working on it, huge planning. And we put something together in such a short period of time with limited funds. The TV station invests a lot of money in it. We invest a lot of money and resources in it. We both do. We're partners. Mm-hmm. And it is, I'm so proud of it. And along the way, we've picked up people who've come through our theater who work on it. Our director is the... um He's directing the Olympic. He directs the Olympics. He's from. He was with uh, ABC Sports. Now he's the vice president of the Golf Channel. Mm-hmm. The lighting director is Ringo Starr's lighting director, who kind of fell in love with our theater when Ringo was at the theater. And everybody who comes through our place hears about the Freddie Awards. Our audio guy um, was with the Tonys for many, many years. So it's a it's a labor of love, and it's a first class production. And but the important part of it is how it's affected the high school students in our area. It has changed their lives. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all for. Mm-hmm. And it has just changed everything about musical theater and changed their lives. And I mean, this year, on top of everything else, two kids got $80,000 or no, more than that, almost $90,000 scholarships, full rides, you know, one tech, one performing. Now, in addition to all the other scholarships that we give out, I mean, two 100% full rides. Does that change your life? You bet it does. Sure. Well, are those scholarships funded by the state theater or is there a different fund? No, they're donated by the colleges. Wow. There's scholarships from a lot of local colleges. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and um, but these two, this is West Virginia who fell in love with our program because someone in their admissions office went to Warren Tech and knew about right. the Freddie Awards and told his employers about the Freddie Award program because they have a wonderful fine arts, I'm, I'm sorry, performing arts school. And they're looking for, for good candidates for their, for their college. And so they've now given away three 
full rides. Um, but on top of that, I mean, the kids that perform in it, you know, how it's changed their lives. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the whole thing's on television. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I lay those laurels at the feet of Barry Fisher for having the vision. I mean, we both, we both love it, but we both lay awake at night worrying about its longevity because we, it, it's something so important. We both think all the time about how are we going to make sure that this is, it continues in our community. Mm-hmm. You know, how, many, how many people do you have working on the production of the show, Ballpark, would you say? Well, you know, for, I mean, my staff at the State Theater, my my group, and there's 15 of us who work on it all the time as part of our day and night jobs at mm-hmm. the State Theater. And then we have probably 50 volunteer evaluators that go out and evaluate all of the high school shows and then the TV station in terms of production, they bring in a lot of freelancers. They mm-hmm. also have their own. I, I couldn't, I don't know. I mean, I, we feed at least 50 people, tech people a night through re, um, dress rehearsal and rehearsal for when TV gets there. Yep. Um, so it's hundreds of people. Yeah. It's, and it, then, it's a massive, um, it's, huge. it's a massive undertaking. And, you know, when you say the first one was live, Mm-hmm. on tv it's crazy isn't it that's a a tremendously risky thing to do when you've not done it before no and it and it but the payoff the it, you know high risk high reward i mean looking back on it the payoff was unbelievable i mean as soon as we went off the air that first year it was part of the it was part of the fabric of this area it was an overnight success it was overnight famous I've never been a part of anything like that in my life, that it was just famous and special. And, and, um, but it was for all the right reasons. You know, I think when, and, and our mantra to this day is any decisions we make about the Freddie Awards, the mantra is always, what's the best thing for the kids? I mean, I wanted to do a show that was like the Tonys that didn't have adults blathering on and saying stupid jokes and making political statements that it was as much performance and as many kids as we could cram into a show and the other part was i wanted the kids to come back and work on it as the generations went through and Mm -hmm. that has happened um and performing it from time to time when we have the alumni come back and perform like we will this year for the 15th year um they stay connected to us they stay connected to it and kids tell us all the time you know it was the highlight of of my high school life. It was the best night of my life, you know, when I was there performing. Because we have a group of them every year, about 150 of them, that perform in the show specifically in an opening number, you know, and they Mm -hmm. become part of being at the State Theater. And, you know, I could go on forever about it, but it's changed a lot of lives. And it's taken, what has the most meaning for me is not so much the kids that are center stage, that are super talented, that are going to be, have a great career doing something that utilizes those skills. You know, I don't worry as much about them, but the kids that I hear from are the ones who say, I didn't fit anywhere. You know, high school can stink. High, sc- high school can be really terrible. Yes. And yes. the kids that say, I didn't have a peer group. You know, I, I was lonely. I was, you know, I get I get the 2 and 2 a.m. emails from kids saying, you know, I, I didn't have any friends. You know, I didn't know I was lonely or, or whatever. They can be heartbreaking. Um, but they say, but now I do, you know, or I was a nerd. Now I'm cool. You know, now I'm, I have something special, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 um, Facebook, 
and all that has connected these kids in a way that they become friends. You know, they now go, kids go see other high schools shows, you know, and they, and they've learned, they have a whole peer group. Plus they've also, I think what it has done, and it's interesting, the very first program in the country was the Gene Kelly Awards in Pittsburgh. That's where the first high school musical program was. And when the theater went to Gene Kelly and asked if they could use his name, he said, they said, we're, we're not sure if it, we'd make it a contest, like an award show, or whether we would make it sort of a review of local high school musicals. And he said, I will only let you use my name if it's a, if it's a contest, because competition breeds excellence. And he was right. I, I mean, he was right. And I think he was right, not just about high school theater. I think, I think it does. People, it doesn't have to be negative. It, mm -hmm. People want to be better. They want to make things better. And when you can see excellence right in front of you and know what it takes to be excellent, you can make it your choice whether you want to go that route or whether you want to say, well, that's for that guy, but not, you know, not for me. And, and the kids are so generous to one another. I mean, they said this year, this year I was sitting with a bunch of kids who were watching another school rehearse their number that they were going to do in the TV show. And this kid just went, ne sitting next to me, he was in his costume, it was dress rehearsal, and he just mm -hmm. kind of went, oh, and I said, what? And he said, Oh, they're really good. They're really so much better than we are. And I said, no, they're not. They're great, but you're great too. And he said, no. He said, they're, they're, they're better. He said, they're incredible. And, you know, they were cheering for them that night. I mean, you know, that's something, that's a big lesson to learn when mm -hmm. you're in high school. Yes, it is. And, it, it, you know, I love it. I love to hear that as opposed to, well, that school's always, you know, they, or, or take it in your, in our own lives, you know, oh, well, of course that person's, you know, we live in a society where people throw stones all the time at successful people mm -hmm. say, well, you know, big deal, you know, they have all the money or they have a great job. Most of the time people have those things because they worked really, really hard. And that's a good lesson to learn. Yep. There's no, there is no substitute. Mm -mm. There really isn't. Um, on Shelley's episode page, we will have a link to the state theater so that you can learn a little bit more about what the, the tremendous amount of programming that goes on there. There is a way to donate. Oh, absolutely. Okay, let's let's get <laughs> we are, to I forgot to say that. You're Thank 501. you. We're a 501. We are, and we depend upon the kindness of strangers and friends um, more than ever in this highly competitive yes. market. So, uh, so there'll be a way to donate, which everybody should. Um, if you're not, you know, whether you're into high school theater or anything else the state theater does, which is, you know, you have blues artists there through oh. their rock and roll um, speakers. Sp Speakers, spoken yep. word. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you it's name all it. there. Uh, they, their programming is very, uh, very broadly based, and there's really something uh, for everybody there. And Easton's a, is a cool town, and you know, it's a good, uh, it's a good time. I saw Elvis uh, Costello. Now, was that in the not solo show. epic? Would you call that epic that night? It yeah. all worked, right? The it, kinetic transference of energy. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was there. Um, and he performed an extra half hour that night. Yeah, I, I had never. Um, I'd never seen him live except for that. And that was a, that tour was a one man show, which not when you see it live, you realize how tremendously difficult it is to keep people's attention when there's no band to rely on. There's no other musicians, nobody else. Yeah, he was he was incredible. And he loved it, too. That's what I mean about it. he went an extra half hour and just kind of said, where am I? What a magical place this is. 
Well, there you have it, Shelly. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. And uh, we will hopefully talk again soon. I hope so. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. To have Brian consult for your arts organization or to book Brian for public speaking engagements or personal coaching sessions, send an email to brian at creativeconfidential.net. That's B-R-Y-A-N at creativeconfidential.net. To get future episodes automatically, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or visit us on the web at creativeconfidential.net. This has been a Steve Mittman social media creation. Steve Mittman social media.com.